Hi, this is episode 51 of K Ray Reads to You. I'm recording this on August 30th, 2010. And today we're going to start a new book called The Apple Stone by Nicholas Stewart Gray, published in 1965. This book is out of print, so I had to get a used, uh, used library copy from Amazon, but I'm glad I did because it's a wonderful book. Chapter 1. The Golden Apple We were down in the orchard, and the clans were at war. The rest of us took no notice. We rarely did, unless they got too noisy. This time they'd only reached the snarling stage. Besides, they were almost out of sight by the far hedge, with a good many apple trees between us and our two cousins. My sister Josephine was sitting on the mossy trunk of a fallen branch, rambling on about some palace that had been dug up at Nineveh. She was in the middle of one of her sudden crazes. Archaeology, this time, of all things. Joe is apt to snatch at any new idea that may be rash enough to cross her path, though she always comes back in time to her main interest, which is animals. She'd just written to Sir Mortimer Wheeler, telling him she had a theory about the lost town of Stabii. When she told me this, I said, I bet he had an even better one. Jemima, my younger sister, was astride a fork in a big nearby apple tree, and she was busy peeling at an apple. Whoops, peeling an apple. It was a sheer waste of time, as she always ate the peel anyway. I pointed this out, and she said she liked peeling apples, and I should mind my own business. Saucy she is, and we're all a bit wary of her, although she's so much the youngest of us. We call her Missy. It suits her. "'Jeremy,' said Joe loudly, "'you're not listening.' I dropped the apple I was eating into some stinging nettles. "'I'm half listening,' I said. "'What word did I say last?' "'Eh, uh, Egypt.' Joe gave me a scornful look. "'Nineveh isn't in Egypt. It's in Assyria.' "'Next door,' I said hopefully. "'All right, stay ignorant.' There was a terrible yell from one of the clans. We glanced toward them. Battle had been joined. Our cousins were rolling over and over one another at the side of the ditch, arms and legs whirling. Then they vanished. Uh, they then vanished into it, and a wallowing noise started. "'Will they drown?' said Joe. "'Not enough water,' said Missy. "'Pity,' said I. Joe began about Nineveh again. I started prodding through the nettles with a twig to see if I could retrieve my apple. Missy ate her bit of peel, and then complained it was bitter. I told her to throw it away. "'It's not as if there were a shortage of apples,' I said. "'I like sour peel,' she said. I snorted and went on with my search. Missy said impatiently, "'Why didn't I go and get myself another apple?' and added in a mincing voice, "'It's not as if there was a shortage.' "'It just so happens that this one had a nice taste,' I informed her coldly, "'and I don't remember where I got it. "'If you're clever enough to point out the exact tree.' "'She pointed. "'That one,' said she, "'and you took it off the second lowest branch on the right, "'and it's a scarlet pearmain,' she added smugly. "'How do you—' "'I stopped. "'I remembered she had a bosom friend in old Arthur, the gardener,' and that he was very interested in the orchard, and knew all the trees by all their names. "'What are you eating, Missy? What are you eating, Missy?' said Joe idly. "'A Blenheim orange, and it isn't anything like ripe.' 
"'What a chronic pain you'll have,' said Joe. "'Our sister merely grinned. "'She looked like some mad garden gnome up in the tree, "'with her round brown eyes "'and two short pigtails of brown hair sticking sideways. "'She said, through a mouthful of sour peel, "'Do you know what I'd like? "'I'd like to eat one of every kind of apple in the whole orchard.' "'Greedy pig,' I said. "'It would take hours, "'and the pain would be more lethal than chronic.' She said she didn't know what I meant. Joe said it was ever since Dad had given me a second-hand encyclopedia for my birthday. She knows quite well what I mean, I said, and if I'm ever going to be an author. My sisters said, all right, all right. We went on eating apples and looking around us at the enormous orchard. It must have been there for centuries. Some trees were so ancient that old Arthur had propped them with poles to stop them falling flat on their faces. Even so, they leaned this way and that, as though they were tired. They were very beautiful, I thought, in all their seasons. In spring and blossom, in winter with their black curves and shadows, and now all bright with apples. Yellow apples, red ones, green, striped, and flecked ones. Smooth or wrinkled or streaked with russet. Some of the trees were short of fruit this year, and others so heavy with it that old Arthur had set forked stakes under the branches to help them carry the weight. The October sun shone through the leaves and apples as best it could, making dapplings of light on the tree trunks and the rough-cut grass. It was hot in the orchard, though only about an hour before twilight. The autumn was trying to make up for a dismal summer. After each day at our schools, which were only a bus ride from home, we made up for it, too, by making a bee-line for the open air, for fields or woods or the orchard. We like the open air— and in Devon there is a lot of open air to like. "'We needn't actually eat them all,' said Missy. I said, "'Eat what?' She said, "'Eat what she'd been talking about.' "'The apples!' she said impatiently. "'Why do you go wandering off in your head when I'm explaining things? The apples, Jeremy, that we could pick, one of every sort, like I said. Then we could look at them all, and eat those we liked the best.' At this moment, the clans came out of the ditch. They looked awful, smeared with mud, twigs in their hair, and soaked to the skin. They were chatting affably together as they came toward us, tucking in the tails of their shirts, dragging down their sweaters, and pulling up their socks. Then Douglas MacDonald gave a shout, and rushed ahead. He had a wild expression, but then he often has. He yelled as he came, "'There's a!' "'Let me tell,' bawled Nigel Campbell. "'Being thinner and smaller, he overtook Douglas and passed him, "'but Douglas grabbed his sleeve and hauled him back. "'I saw it first. "'But I—I—' "'Nigel was struggling to get free. "'I cut my hand on it.' "'Oh, shut up,' I said, both of you. "'But they went on in a sort of yelling chorus. "'It's a—I saw a—cut my hand on a—' "'In the ditch! In the mud! I saw! I cut!' "'And they ended in perfect unison, as if they'd practiced. "'A man-trap!' "'I said, rubbish!' "'We all went and looked in the ditch. "'It was a rabbit-trap, one of those beastly things with spikes "'that snap shut on an animal's foot and hold it in agony "'till someone comes to kill it. "'They're not allowed in England any more, and a good thing, too.' It's gruesome that they ever were allowed. We all had a burst of indignation. 
I then informed the clans that such traps were still legal in Scotland. They were much abashed. Nigel went scarlet with vexation and shame. Douglas scowled furiously. And then Missy said anything could happen in a place where our cousins belonged. They glared. Then they decided to justify their existence by plunging into the ditch again. As they each did it without warning, they landed in a sprawl together and disappeared in a mass of churning mud, long grass, and stinging nettles. But they came up, holding the trap between them. It was old and muddy and red with rust, but you could still see the hateful spikes and the spring. It could easily be cleaned and oiled, said Douglas. Why? said Joe. Well, we could catch something. What, for instance? Well, there was a pause while he racked his brain to think of something that wouldn't mind getting itself mauled in a spiky steel trap. Old Arthur, he said feebly at last. Too big, said Missy, ever practical. Throw it away, Douglas, I said, this minute. We've only just found it. Then you can just lose it again. It's revolting. Can't we have it for a keepsake? said Nigel. What a good idea, said Joe scathingly. It would be so pretty hanging on a wall with bows of pink ribbon. Chuck it away, I commanded. Go on, I tell you. It's my orchard. It's your father's orchard, said Douglas. I'm the heir, I said sternly. The clans eyed me for a moment. But tradition runs strongly in their blood, and they were guests in our house, while their respective parents were abroad for a year. So Douglas gave a loud and exasperated sigh, and heaved the, th heaved the trap into the thorn hedge. One of the spikes caught in his sleeve, and he went with it. Never mind, said Joe soothingly, as he emerged looking more battered than ever. Come and pick all the apples. All the apples? He looked appalled. So did Nigel. Not having heard our earlier conversation, they thought we proposed to strip the orchard, which would have taken a week at least. One of all the apples, explained Joe. She and Missy told them the idea. They were not much impressed. Nigel said he was tired, and reminded us that he'd been told by some doctor to take things easy. I reminded him in return that this only referred to mental things. Douglas said everyone knew Nigel was going round the bend. Joe said Douglas was a monster and had no right to say horrible things like that. Douglas laughed. Nigel rushed at him and stuffed a handful of nettles down his neck. Douglas screamed. Missy said they should both take it easy. I said, Apart from all that, shall we perform this apple project in the interests of science? They calmed down. Remember, I told them all. One apple from every tree. One only from each tree. Don't leave any out. I've some bits of chalk in my pocket, and we can mark the trees so that we don't miss any. Here. I handed out the chalk. It was a trickier job than it sounded. We had to stop from time to time for argument and discussion. Were two similar apples from different trees the same species? We took both, in case they weren't. Were two from the same tree, but dissimilar, the result of grafting? We took both, in case they were. The clans nearly went to war again when they shinnied up the biggest tree from opposite sides and met in the top fork. I had to go up and drive them down. 
Then they joined forces, and tried to make me climb for the apple they'd both been after. I went to save argument. We made a pile in the middle of the orchard, where the grass was fairly short, and we settled here at last to inspect our hall. Suddenly Josephine gave a startling yell. "'Where's Missy?' "'Shh!' I said. "'She was here a moment ago.' "'She isn't now.' "'Come on, then,' I said. "'Find the little brute.' We began to search and bawl for Jemima. Ever since I'd once found her sitting in the old well bucket, preparing to lower herself into the depths by turning the handle, and who knows why she thought she could keep that up, we didn't care to let her out of sight too long. She is only eight, after all. It wasn't so easy to find anything in that orchard. It was like a jungle. Low-hanging branches, trees leaning almost to the ground in places, clumps of tall weeds, nettles that stood above one's shoulder. The thought came into my head suddenly, and I really can't help the way thoughts come into my head suddenly, of how it would be in a real jungle, and how a python would be coiled around a branch, right in one's path, and staring into one's face. There'd be scorpions as well. Joe came and prodded me, and said, "'Why was I standing still, staring?' "'I said I was thinking about snakes. "'She said, why? "'I said there were lots in Devon. "'She said she'd never seen one. "'I said that didn't prove there weren't twenty-five "'just under our feet at that moment. "'She said it was a fine time to start saying things like that. "'The clans yelled that they'd found Jemima. "'She was up in a tall, fragile tree, a very old tree, a tree whose trunk was wrinkled and grey, and whose branches were dead, except for one right at the top, as thin as a shadow, with three leaves on it, and an apple. Missy was so busy trying to get this apple that she hadn't heard us shouting, or just hadn't bothered to answer. "'That isn't safe!' exclaimed Joe, as we arrived under the tree. "'Do come down. Missy, come down, before the whole thing collapses. Look, it's rocking. It's dangerous. You'll break your neck.' Still, our sister didn't answer. She put her foot on a dry gnarl, and stretched her arm to its fullest extent, but she couldn't quite touch the apple. The tree creaked dismally. "'Come down here, Jemima!' I shouted. "'One of each,' said she, stubbornly. She balanced herself on a slender dead twig, and stretched again. The whole tree shook. The apple fell. I caught it. The twig broke, and Missy fell, too, and the clans unintentionally caught her. They all fell in a heap, and yelled. Joe sorted them out. No one was really hurt, but Missy was cross, because she had not actually picked the apple. I held it out on my hand and looked at it. It was an odd-looking one, dull yellow and crinkled all over as though from extreme old age, but it had a sweet smell, like that of a gravenstein and it was very small and heavy. "'Take it, then,' I said to Missy, "'and stop crabbing.' She cupped it between her hands, as if it were something precious. We all returned to the centre of the orchard. We busied ourselves, choosing apples from our heap, comparing them with one another, tasting them, and trying to see if we could identify them by name. Some we could, by their look, or their taste, or scent.' Worcester Pearmain, green and red, tasting of strawberries. Wiccan Pippin, greeny yellow with dots of russet, not nearly ripe. Nor is Ellison's orange, but smell the scent. 
Here's a big red queening, and ripe already. It would be. So's James Grieve. Talking about scent, smell this. Devonshire Quarrenden. Only Jemima sat silent, with the little wrinkled apple in her hands, and she never even glanced at any of the others. At last, Joe asked her what was so special about it. "'It's magic,' said Missy. We all gaped at her. She was the last person you'd expect to turn whimsy on you. Then Douglas laughed, and she gave him a very cold look. "'What a kiddish thing to say!' he scoffed. "'A very sensible thing to say,' said the apple. Missy dropped it as if it were red-hot. "'Clumsy!' it squeaked. No one else spoke at all. We sat with dropped jaws and bulging eyes. I thought if my mind was going to wander this far, I'd better get it inspected or something. But the apple went on talking in a small, soft voice that sounded extremely irritable. First they shake me off my tree, then they fling me about as though I were a mere and useless trifle. And they dare to laugh when one guesses at my quality, rude, ignorant, and totally irresponsible infants. "'We're not infants,' said Douglas. But he didn't sound any too sure of this. Missy went on hands and knees to where the apple lay. "'Don't be cross,' said she. "'We didn't mean it.' The apple seemed to simmer down. It said it supposed we couldn't help what we were. "'Had you been properly educated,' it began. Then it sighed and went on sadly. "'But there, it's been the same for so many centuries now. I always hope to find myself in an enlightened age again, but always and always I fall into the hands of barbarians.' There was a pause. I couldn't think of anything to say that wouldn't make me feel silly. I mean, making light conversation with an apple.' "'Er, you mentioned centuries,' said Joe. "'Have you been in many?' Thousands, said the apple. There was another pause. I wondered if it was showing off, but decided not to ask. Then it went on. "'Not each time do I fall into human hands. Sometimes I merely drop from the branch and lie in my apple until the fruit decays, and I go sliding underground again.' Then I burrow to find another apple tree. I may go for miles and miles. It may take years and years. Then, oh, then, creeping up through the roots, through the trunk, the twig, and into the bud, and the blossom forms, with me in its center, and the fruit, and again I am in the open, and there for the taking, and just occasionally someone finds me and knows me for what I am. After a moment's silence, Joe said carefully, "'You said there was a time. "'You said a more enlightened age.' "'The Greeks knew me of old,' said the apple. "'Few others, since their day. "'The knowledge was lost with so much else "'when that great culture passed. "'When the Alexandria Library got burned,' "'suggested Joe in her studious voice. "'The irrepressible Douglas gave a slight snigger, "'but the apple ignored him and said it was likely.' The books held much wisdom. The world was poorer for their loss, it said glumly. Ignorance has prevailed since then in so many ways. Therefore I stand no longer on my full rights. I do not insist on being addressed by name before offering my power to my discoverers. 
to recognize my magic is enough, provided that word is spoken aloud in acknowledgment. This time there was no pause at all. We all spoke together. Power, we said. The apple made a disapproving noise. How swiftly they take the bait, though they know nothing of me at all. Tell me, it said, has the very last, least memory of me, memory of me faded into oblivion? Is no glimmer left in legend or song or poem? Not that I know, I said, and I read a good deal. We're very sorry, said Joe. She spoke as gently as if it were an animal in trouble, and I suppose we were all beginning to think of it as a sort of, well, a parrot or something. So am I sorry, it said. There was mystery and glamour in the world once, all faded now and nothing left. The minds of men grow grey. Once upon a time the whisper of my name would set them searching the world for me, and in that search the nations grew. How? said Nigel. Oh, my dear boy, simple herdsmen left the pastures where their tribes had always stayed. Fishermen, safe near the familiar shore, took suddenly to the deep waters. A word had come to them, a rumour, a couplet of song, or a muddled tale. Off they went, and took with them their customs and their knowledge to spread abroad, while they searched for the golden apples of the sun. Joe gave a sharp exclamation, and so did I. "'I've heard of them,' I said. "'They grew near Mount Atlas, and were guarded by a dragon.' "'They were never guarded,' said the apple, "'and they grew everywhere, but always just over the horizon, "'on the far side of the hill, beyond the Isles of Sunset. "'In fact, they grew wherever men didn't happen to be at the time. "'So the young and adventurous went to seek them. "'Miles they went, and years they went, "'and the races mingled, and knowledge was shared, "'and the new civilizations were born.' "'And there were no apples of the sun,' it said, a bit bleakly. "'There was only me, and I might be anywhere, in any shape, that an ordinary apple wore. "'Though it is true I have always been golden in colour. "'And some men found me, and used me.' "'A name had been drifting at the back of my mind, just out of reach. "'Now it came close, and I seized it. "'I said, "'Hercules, didn't he once?' "'The apple snorted.' "'He said he did.' "'I've got a painting of him finding you,' said Nigel. "'But you're a lot bigger and b brighter.' "'Hercules wasn't a real person,' said Douglas. "'My memory isn't what it used to be,' murmured the apple. "'Whether real or not, whether he found me or not, "'he was an extremely unreliable character. "'Noisy, too,' it added. "'It seemed to brood a while,' Whether over its declining memory or the failings of the Greek hero was hard to tell. Finally Douglas broke into its reverie with the sort of remark that he describes as direct and others as tactless. He said, "'Why did they want you?' "'Shush!' said Joe and I together. "'Because it's pretty,' said Missy, "'and has magical patterns on it.' "'Correct,' said the apple." It was for my magic that they wanted me. Recollect how your own innocent ears pricked up at the first hint of it. Nigel went scarlet, and Joe and I began to stammer some sort of apology. But Missy and Douglas, who are not troubled by conscience or convention, merely looked intrigued. I am not criticizing you, 
said the little voice from the ground. Desire for magic is not necessarily greed. It may just be for the glamour of it. Men scoff at things they do not understand, which is just about everything there is, and they pretend not to believe in magic any more. But let the wind blow the slightest scent of it, and up go their ears, and off they chase in pursuit. Of the wind or the magic, said Douglas. They look for the second, and usually find only the first. And for us, magic came toppling out of a tree, I said. You can't blame us for our curiosity, said Joe. No, no, said the apple. All humans are curious, very curious indeed. Douglas cut in. He has a one track mind, but to be quite fair, I think all our minds were on that same track for the moment. He said, What sort of magic have you? There was a little pause. Then the apple said, slowly and clearly, One touch from me animates the inanimate. Oh, said Douglas, baffled. The rest of us kept quiet, trying to work it out. Then I said, You can bring things to life? Yes. What sort of things? Any sort. Nothing in all the universe is truly lifeless. It's just a matter of rousing it. And the simplest way by far is me. What about my guinea pig? cried Douglas excitedly. I'd like him alive again. He got so old, and a month ago. No, said the apple gently. No, boy, you must not disturb him. The little beast has better to do than to be dragged back into an aged and worn out body. Besides, said Nigel practically, we haven't got the body. We had a pyre, Douglas, a f funeral pyre. You sang Lockabar no more. It's better not to meddle with the mysteries, said the apple in a kindly sort of voice. Your pet is about his business. If we can't bring back things that have died, began Joe. Not can't, said the apple. Just don't. Then what sort of. What about pictures and statues? said Nigel. There was a fellow called Pygmalion, said the apple. It stopped. It seemed to be thinking about him. I looked around at the circle of my relatives. Joe was smiling. She looked rather pleasant. She'd curled her long legs under her where she sat on the grass, and her hair had fallen right forward over her face. She blew it aside. Missy seemed to be in a trance, with eyes like round chocolate drops, staring at the apple, and her mouth wide open. The clans were staring too, crouched on knees and elbows, with their chins in their hands. The sun's last rays touched them all. Joe's red hair and the sandy hair of Nigel seemed even brighter, and there were streaks of light over the black curls of Douglas. For once, it seemed, the clans were united. They began to talk in a chorus that started quietly and grew noisier and more excited as it went on. Can my electric train come alive? This was Douglas. My spaceship? said Nigel eagerly. My machine gun, my man from Mars, my atomic submarine, my prehistoric monster, my death ray. Over my dead body, said Joe. What about my teddy bear? said Missy. The apple wobbled to and fro. It looked as if it were nodding. Toys have always been favorites for bringing alive, it said. Have you heard of Achilles? 
the bright one. I was in his hands for a while. He knew me, but did not use me, for he was wary of magic. But there came the day when he wanted Troy to burn. He would have fired it single-handed, but he fell. He told Ulysses what to do, and died. And Ulysses took a toy horse from a child, a wooden, hollow little horse, and he did what Achilles had told him to do, and Troy burned. The hair had risen on my neck. I seemed to feel a cold wind blowing, and to hear the heavy grinding of wheels as the great wooden horse rolled slowly through the gates. I opened my eyes and shook my head to clear away the fumes of smoke. I looked nervously at the apple. "'Do you wish to destroy cities?' it asked. Joe sniffed, and one of the clans coughed. No one spoke. I think we had all, for a moment, been out on the windy plains of Troy. "'Relax, my dears,' said the apple kindly. "'I am not merely a weapon for warriors. I am a charm for lovers, a plaything for children.' It all depends how I am used, and why. I can be life or death, pleasure or torment, or just simple fun. But do be careful. It would probably be wise to throw me away and forget me. "'We've only just found you,' said Missy, dismayed. "'How could we forget?' said Joe. "'Why can't we have some fun?' demanded Douglas. "'We d don't much like cities,' "'But we've nothing special against them at the moment,' put in Nigel reassuringly. "'We'll promise to be careful,' I said. "'The apple bobbed about, rather agitatedly. "'If you insist on keeping me, kept I must be. "'But one day you will have to let me go, "'so that I may rest again in the cool earth when I grow weary, "'so that I may gather strength to start my journeying once more,' "'so that I shall see daylight dawn in another age. "'We'll do exactly what you want us to do,' I said. "'We'll swear it,' said Joe earnestly. "'Solemn vow,' said Missy. "'Yes, yes, of course we promise,' clamoured the clans. "'Then eat me,' said the apple. "'There was a burst of horror and protest from everyone. "'Now look here,' snapped the apple. "'You said you'd do as I ask. "'Use your brains if you have them. "'How can my power be used, good creatures, "'while I myself am imprisoned?' "'And then it added in contempt. "'Untutored infants, "'surely you are not under the impression "'that you are talking to an apple?' "'It, er, did seem,' I faltered. "'If not, what?' said Missy.' "'I am inside!' it cried shrilly, "'covered with a layer of unripe but edible fruit, "'and that fruit must be cut away in equal parts. "'Take care not to cut too deeply and scratch me, "'and each of you must eat a part of the apple.' "'I looked at the others, but all their eyes were fixed on me. "'I am the eldest, and they all remember this "'when there's anything unpleasant to be done.' "'I hesitated. "'Joe picked up the apple and gave it to me. "'Missy handed me her penknife.' I felt myself turn a bit pale. "'Here, are you sure about this?' I asked the apple. "'Quite sure.' I set my teeth. I marked five equal slices with a broken end of chalk. I divided the wrinkled fruit into sections. "'Don't think I liked doing this. My relative sat in a circle, watching me with distaste. The apple fell apart in my hand like a sticky yellow star, and its centre was a small, 
bright, golden ball, about the size of a marble. It shone softly. There were beautiful, intricate, minute designs all over it. "'Come on now,' it said. "'Eat the fruit.' Its voice was a lot clearer, now that it wasn't talking through a layer of apple. And we did what it told us. I've no idea if the segment that I swallowed was sour or sweet, for I tasted nothing at all. I might have been eaten cotton or peppermint. And none of the others made any comment on its flavor. "'So,' said the golden stone, "'so that is that, and you are mine, and I am yours while you are mine. Do, for pity's sake, be careful.' "'We've said we will,' I told it. "'Yes, I know, but do remember, things can get completely out of hand if you lose your heads. "'Touch me against an inanimate object, and it will rouse. "'If anything goes wrong after that—' "'It paused. "'I gave a small shudder. "'For a while now I'd had the nervous notion that we were on the edge of something dangerous. "'It was far too exciting to think about drawing back, of course, "'but now that sense of foreboding came nearer and loomed over me.' I wondered if any of my family could feel it there. They often jeered at me for imagining things and letting my mind wander. "'Listen to me, infants,' said the golden stone. I did wish it would stop calling us that, but I suppose, compared with it— "'In the event of any future trouble,' it was saying now, "'you must close your eyes, all five of you, "'and remain absolutely silent for at least two minutes, "'and during that time no one must think of me. "'Do this, and whatever you have roused "'will return to what it was before.' "'But suppose we aren't all together,' I said worriedly. "'Suppose only one of us is in trouble. "'How would the others know when to start shutting their eyes and that?' "'I never said it would be easy,' said the stone. "'Mistakes do get made. "'Dolls and lizards become giants and dragons. "'It often takes ages to get them cleared up.' "'We ought to think this over,' I said. "'Oh, but if we're terribly careful,' cried Joe. "'And stay together,' said Nigel. "'And do what the, and do what the stone tells us,' said Missy. "'And use the stone properly,' said Douglas. "'And do stop calling me the stone,' said the stone.' Use my great name. I am the Apple Stone, the only Apple Stone, the Apple Stone that saw the start of the galaxy, that assisted in its formation. It fell silent and lay in my hand, warm and gleaming, and as still as though it had fallen asleep. And Ragnar the Dane burst through the hedge in a turmoil of flying leaves and twigs and hurled himself on me. I fell over. The apple stone was shot into a thicket of nettles, and the sun set. Later, with darkness on us, we were angry and tired and burning with nettle stings. Douglas had managed to split his thumbnail on the blade of the shears, and I'd grazed my ankle by swinging a sickle too frenziedly. We'd cut the center of the orchard till it was like a lawn, but even so I doubt if we'd have found the apple stone if it hadn't shone so brightly in the gathering night. It was tucked under a tussock of grass, half buried in the earth. "'Let me look after it,' cried Missy, as I picked it up. "'It can live in that doll's handbag that Aunt Martha gave me, and I'll hang that on my locket-chain.' I hesitated. She said she'd found the apple-stone in the first place anyhow. This being perfectly true, 
I handed it to her, and she put it carefully in the pocket of her jeans. Ragnar paced across to her and stared into her eyes in a fixed sort of way. After a moment or two, she said crossly, "'Go away! Don't stare at me, you big stupid!' The great Dane whined. He then went to Joe, looking worried. She put her arm around his massive neck, but this didn't seem to cheer him noticeably. We were all rather thoughtful as we went in to have high tea. I hung back behind the others. They were talking about the apple stone, naturally, but it seemed to me that they were suddenly unsure about it. "'We've got to be extremely careful,' said Joe. "'You know how things always seem to go wrong in all the stories about magic.' "'Nothing will go wrong for us.' This was Douglas, of course, but even he sounded less confident than usual. "'We're not as stupid as it th thinks we are,' said Nigel, hopefully." "'It will look after us?' announced Missy, but she gave the statement a sort of a question mark. <clears throat> "'And we do know what to do in an emergency,' said Joe. "'But the foreboding had come back to me, and twice as dark and creepy. I felt like Achilles, and I don't mean bright or heroic, I mean wary of magic, for of one thing I was very sure. The apple stone had been burrowing under that grass,' "'trying to hide in the ground, trying to get away. "'And as I'd picked it up, I'd heard a sigh and whisper from it. "'Trouble. Always and always and always.'" And that's the end of chapter one. I'll see you next time.